You're listening to The Big Show with Patrick Dumas on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Big Show Hour 4 live from the Doug Lacey's Basel Systems downtown studio. Worried about radon? We install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasinsystems.com for a free estimate. Uh, coming to, uh, this hour, we'll uh, speak with Brent Dodginghorse, former Calgary Hitman player, ahead of uh, the Flames Indigenous Night tomorrow uh, as they host the Vancouver Canucks. But right now, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, and we are joined by Jamie Dodd, Canucks talk host over on Sportsnet 650. Uh, the Canucks are in town tomorrow night, and they've got uh, a new player in tow, uh, one that used to play here. Uh, he didn't even go out there. He's still here in Calgary. Nikita Zadorov, uh, but Jamie Dodd... Uh, Initial thoughts on uh, the Zadorov trade uh, that happened around 3.30 your time yesterday. Well, yeah, I was wondering about that, what his travel itinerary <laughs> was going to be, if they were going to make him fly out here. Just no, you got to come here, man. <laughs> watch the Vegas game. <laughs> join, join the team. Watch some tape with us. No, I'm glad they let him stay out in Calgary. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. No, I mean, I, I was... Uh, I was surprised by how quickly it came together after the Anthony Beauvillier trade. Mm-hmm. And look, once they made that deal, taking advantage of the situation in Chicago, the MO of this management group, and this is even going back to Jim Rutherford's days in Pittsburgh, he, he does not like to, you know, just let cap space burn a hole in his pocket for too long, right? Like yeah. he was going to go out and find a way to use it to improve this team. And the obvious need was on the blue line. We'd heard the connections between Calgary and Vancouver on Tanev, on Zadorov. Again, I was surprised that it only took about, you know, what, less than 48 hours. Uh, and I was a little surprised at the return as well. But then the more I thought about it, the fact that the Canucks were able to absorb the entire salary explains why maybe the return was not as significant as uh, as I thought it might have mm-hmm. been for a player like Nikita Zadorov. And really, the Canucks just need they need credible defensemen right now. You know, with injuries uh, and just with a lack of depth, they're playing Mark Friedman and Noah Juleson, two guys who are, you know, probably AHL or seven or eight defensemen. Those guys are in the lineup every night. They just need a little bit more depth and, again, more credible NHL bodies, and Zadorov certainly fits that mold for them. I think uh, everybody, I, I just maybe just for, for some comedic aspects, we would love to see Nikita Zadorov paired with uh, the Chaos oh, Giraffe and Tyler Myers. 100%. Uh, I think everyone would love to yeah, see Yeah, but does it make more sense to have him sit beside Ian Cole? Or- well, that's going to be a really interesting thing is how they decide to divvy up those minutes. They've, they've been very reluctant to part uh, Quinn Hughes and Phil Pronick at mm-hmm. the top. Mm-hmm. They, those guys have been pretty much locked together. You've seen them come apart a little bit. Recently here, you know, Rick Tockett has really uh, emphasized that he is he is very much, you know, a guy who wants to have a left shot guy and a right shot guy on every pairing. So if that's the case, you know, I don't think Ian Cole, who's a left shot, would be the first option to play. Mm-hmm. I think Tyler Myers might be the first option, yeah. uh, or it could be Philip Ronick. We'll see if they choose to split up Quinn Hughes. But that's something I'm very curious to see is how do they decide to use Nikita Zadorov, who is his partner. And then down the road, when Carson Soucy, another yep. you know pretty big left shot guy, comes back at some point, it's going to get even more interesting how they choose to uh, you know distribute the minutes and, and, and align the partnerships on the blue line. Uh, so, yeah, the cap space that was uh, quickly uh, found is gone. Uh, the Flames obviously valued... Or sorry, the Canucks obviously valued the Flames defenseman. They they obviously had the interest yeah. in Chris Tanev and Zadorov. Maybe was maybe their second option. Is there is there any scenario you see that the Canucks could circle back come March and say, Hey, Calgary, what do you want for Tanev? You know, I wouldn't put it 
completely out of the question. Obviously, there's a history here, and, you know, we hear that Chris Tanev would be open to a return to Vancouver. Maybe it's, you know, that might be a July 1st conversation sure. between Tanev Free agent. Uh, and the Vancouver Canucks because one thing we've heard is that, you know, they their first-round pick isn't in play. Not, not that Tanev would necessarily fetch a first, although with his reputation at the deadline, mm-hmm. you never know. I, I do wonder, there, the other thing that's out there with the Canucks and that we hear is still an option uh, even after the Zadorov trade, is, of course, Ethan Bear, who played for them last year, injured at the World Championships, still out injured. He's a UFA now. Yeah. He's been skating on his own, skating in Kelowna, I believe, and getting close to a return. And, you know, everything we hear is that the Canucks are pretty constantly checking in on Ethan Bear. Now, he's a UFA. Other teams are going to be interested as well, so that's not a guarantee. But my sense is that the Canucks would love to add another body on the blue line. I think their first preference probably would be Ethan Bear, just because you don't have to similarity. Give up yeah, you know, yeah. and yeah. you know, familiarity. Yeah. You don't have to give up extra assets. You're just spending the cap space, and yep. I think they would. I think they'd have a ton of interest in Chris Tanev, but I do wonder if just because if they don't want to trade more futures, if that's more of a July first conversation. Um, trying to flip the script from the last time Vancouver was here. Uh, wasn't the greatest game from the Canucks. It fell 5-2 to the Flames at the beginning of the month. Uh, and mm-hmm. they kind of seemed like the Canucks kind of been like, they're maybe not on the same trajectory as they were as they were at the start of the year, but they've kind of they, they banked those wins early on where they can now say like, hey, we can we can fall asleep for a couple games and be all right. Now, what is <laughs> what is the the script going to be when they come in here tomorrow night? Because I know Quinn Hughes, the Flames did a really good job on Quinn Hughes, I thought. Yeah, well, you're right about, you know, they've been, I think they're six and six in their last 12. And it's basically, you know, three weeks of 500 hockey here. And, you know, the great thing about a good start and especially a really good start, like the one the Canucks had is you can survive three weeks of 500 hockey Mm -hmm. and still be comfortably in a playoff spot and not worried at all. But there are some warning signs, even just beyond being six and six. And, you know, last night Vegas comes in and just really dominated the game and and the Canucks top six in particular, the JT Miller line. And then the Elias Pettersson line, you know, both really got outclassed by Jack Eichel and and Mark Stone in that game. And that's a concern, right? Because Miller, Pedersen, and Hughes are supposed to be the strength, at least in terms of skaters, because, you know, Thatcher Demko in there as well. They're supposed to be the strength of this team. They need to be winning those matchups. Quinn Hughes, I think, has still been excellent. He's been the guy that, you know, and I would throw Demko in there as well. From, From puck drop against the Oilers on opening night through to last night, those two guys have been at a very, very high level. Pedersen and Miller started at a very, very higher level, and now I think there's some questions about what they're doing, in particular at five-on-five, at even strength. Those scoring chances have not been there consistently, and I think that's going to be a real key. But, you know, i got to be honest, I think this is a big game. And you might not think it just looking at where these teams are in the standings, but I know Calgary is playing a lot better. Uh, Like a win? A win by the Flames is four points now. Yeah, exactly, right? And, you know, the Canucks going through the doldrums a little bit here. You don't want to let a Pacific Division rival breathe even more life back into their season and close that gap a little bit. So I think you look at coming off the loss against Vegas, you know, just the general struggles over the last three weeks or so, I think this is a really big game for both teams coming up on Saturday. Uh, Six points, but still, it it is still a massive game. Talk to me about Rick Tockett. This this was an effect we saw last year after Mm -hmm. the Boudreaux firing. The Canucks started playing a, a lot more structured game. 
a little bit using their skill to their to the fullest ability, and that carried over to the start of this year where they had four players in the top five of scoring for a good chunk of it. Now we we've talked about it, like Patterson's kind of come down here. JT Miller's picked that up and his see what is he second in league scoring I believe something like that something or like up that. there anyways but yeah. yeah just like overall the Rick Tockett effect because it feels like he's not going to let this team lose three four in a row if he does it's not going to happen very often well and it's going to drive him nuts if it yeah. does happen I'll tell you that <laughs> yeah, the, the word that comes to mind for me with Rick Tockett is honesty right he is and it's not like you know, sometimes there are coaches who will really tell you what they think about their players. Sometimes it translates into being mean about the players, yeah. right? Or it's kind of it's kind of callous. It feels a little bit gratuitous, like they're going after the players. That's never the case with Rick Tockett. He'll be up front. He'll be honest. You know, he scratched Andre Kuzmenko uh, for two games in a row recently. Kuzmenko scored 39 goals last year in his first year mm-hmm. in the NHL coming over for coming over from Russia. But you know, since Rick Tockett took over, even last year, he's been consistent about the things he needs to see. Andre Kuzmenko do differently and if you looked at the ice time leading into the scratches it wouldn't have necessarily been a surprise and again there's just uh, he's willing to communicate and kind of be specific about what a player needs to work on without crossing that line to where it feels like he's really undermining them and you know that goes for his assessment of the team as a whole as well I think there's been games that they've won this year where he's come out. I mean, I remember there was a game against Nashville at home. Elias Pettersson scores a hat trick. I think they won like 5-2. It wasn't even a particularly mm-hmm. close game. Mm-hmm. And Rick Tockett comes out after and says, you know, like, that's not our game. We didn't play well. Mm-hmm. Like, we got the bounces. We won. I'm happy we won. But that's not our game, and we need to improve. He's done that after losses. He's done that after some wins. And I think the market has really responded favorably to that honesty. And so far, the team has as well. Like, really, he's pushed all the right buttons, you know, I would bet on Rick Tockett to find a way to get them out of this at some point. Yeah. Look, there's only so much a coach can do, but right so far, Rick Tockett, his, he has earned rave reviews here in the market, and I think rightfully so for what he's done. Yeah, I, I, out here, I'm, I'm a big fan of him, and I was, I was a big fan of the Canucks heading into this year. I, I thought, you know, like, I didn't think they, I thought they could fight for a playoff spot, and like, this doesn't surprise me. Maybe the start mm. did a little bit, but I thought, you yeah. know, this was a good group, and I thought, you know, Rick, what Rick Talk could do to this team uh, could take them to, to some good spots. Uh, we're talking with Jamie Dodd, uh, co-host over at uh, Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Uh, Adam Foote, he was an assistant coach brought in with with Adam, uh, or sorry, with Rick Tockett. How much has he helped out Quinn Hughes and this whole defensive core? Because obviously Adam's not big for the offensive numbers, but in his, yeah. own, his <laughs> own right, he was one of the best defensive defensemen ever to play the game. Yeah, well, you talk to the players in Quinn Hughes, and they'll tell you that they really, really appreciate having a guy like Adam Foote, as you said, you know, an incredible career in the NHL, specifically on the defensive side of the puck. And it's interesting, they also have uh, Sergei Gonchar on staff, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's two really, really high-level uh, NHL defensemen in their careers with very different profiles that the defensemen can can learn from and talk to. And, you know, I do think that's made a difference and that's helped. On the other hand, you're also seeing the seams start to show. And, you know, coaching can only do so much, right? At, at a certain point, it's about the talent of the players you're putting on the ice. And when they still had Carson Soucy in the lineup and, you know, their third pair was Carson Soucy and Tyler Myers. Okay. Like third pair minutes for Tyler Myers. He can be a pretty effective defenseman. And I'm sure that the coaching from foot and Sergei Gonchar was helping. Now with Carson Soucy out, Tyler Myers moves up. He's playing over 20 minutes a night. 
yeah, it doesn't look as great. <laughs> and even with that coaching from Foot and Gonchar, you know, you're starting to see the play suffer a little bit. So I think those guys have helped and maybe they've prevented the bottom from completely falling out. Like we saw it at times under Bruce Boudreau last year, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, once they let one goal in, it would just turn into a fire drill shift after shift and it would be a blowout. We haven't seen that this year, but I also think you're seeing – you know, there's a reason they went out and made the Zadorov trade. They need yeah. those more of those credible NHL bodies on the blue line, too. Uh, is the NHL not doing a, a good enough job at propping up this race between Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes that what they're about to do is hasn't been seen in almost 40 years? Yeah, that's an interesting point, right? And I mean, we we were hyping it up a lot when the uh, Canucks were visiting Colorado recently, right? As a yeah. hey, uh, the Hughes versus McCarr battle, and Hughes was getting so much attention, I think, in Canada for his scoring. And then you turned around and looked, and you saw like, wait, Kale McCarr is actually scoring more points per game. He's just <laughs> played fewer games, so people are talking about it nearly as much. But I think it's a good point, and it's pretty remarkable when you look at where Quinn Hughes is in the scoring race, where, where Kale McCarr is and we really are in a golden era yes. of mobile puck moving <laughs> offensive defensemen who could also take care of business in their own end. Yep. Like I know the you know there's even still people you know fans here in Vancouver like ah oh, Quinn Hughes can't defend. It's like that's not true. He does it differently. Mm-hmm. You know he doesn't look like Adam Foot in his prime <laughs> when he's defending, but he's a good defender. So is Kale McCarr. So are some of these other players. And I think it's a good point you bring up, right? Like we we should kind of be talking about yeah. how incredible these guys are. And you can extend that to Adam Fox. You can extend that. I know yep. that's a dirty name to bring up in Calgary, <laughs> oh, Sorry, but you can, extend, <laughs> you can extend that to Miro Heiskanen down yeah. and down, down the list, right? And Darlene. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Yeah, Erasmus Darlene, exactly. Yeah, like it's it's just insane. Like 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 seventy five. Bobby Orr was the last defenseman to win an Art Ross, and like there's a legit yeah. chance that Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes could be right there uh, at the end when it's all said and done. Uh, Brockett, uh, what they got? Brockett Richard? Is that what they're calling him? <laughs> yeah, that, uh, some people are trying to make that <laughs> that stick for sure. And How's I mean, he look, doing? He, Seventeen he, goals, man. That's awesome. Yeah, well, the big, the biggest thing for Brock has been with Bo Horvat leaving, there was a spot open on the first power play unit for the Canucks, and Betzer got that spot, and uh, he's thrived with it, right? And, you know, the power play's cooled off a little bit here, but for the first six weeks or so of the season, it was absolutely mm-hmm. cooking. It was on fire, and he was a big part of it, right? It wasn't like he wasn't just, you know, the beneficiary of what the other guys were doing. He was helping make it, make it click. Uh, He's very versatile on the power play can do a lot of different things. And then, you know, at five on five, again, this has dropped off a little bit, but he still is a good shooter. Like, I don't know if if people in Calgary remember from his rookie season, he, you know, he was building that reputation as a young sniper in the NHL. It fell off a little bit, but that is still something he can do. And he was having a lot of success, you know, finding those open spots in the high slot, JT Miller doing work below the goal line. JT Miller's a great passer, right? Getting it to Brock Besser in those positions. And then he would snap at home. That was kind of a bread and butter offensive play for the Canucks. And then, you know, I think the other thing, and this helps all a lot of great goal scorers rack up goals is he's earned Rick Tockett's trust to be out there at the end of games. And he's got three empty net goals. And the one he had recently was from, you know, his own end of the ice. It was a beautiful snipe for Brock Besser in the empty net. So you've got to put it all together. The opportunity, the skill, the minutes that he's getting, he's getting some bounces as well, which I don't know will continue. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, Rocket Richard might be out of the question, but I don't think 40 goals no. is out of the question for Brock Besser at all. Not at all. Uh, how, like, we go back to last summer even. It was, uh, you know, Bo Horvat or J.T. Miller, Bo Horvat or J.T. Yep. Miller, and they they, they picked J.T. Miller. How How's that looking right now? 
in some ways really, really good. Because as you said, JT Miller, you know, top three in NHL scoring. You watch him on the power play. He is a maestro out there. He's fantastic. Great passer. Got a wicked shot that he can use on the power play as well. The thing I loved early in the season, this was the thing that made me the most confident that the Canucks could, you know, not continue at that pace. That was never going to happen, but that they could be, you know, a threat to finish top three in the Pacific was JT Miller was playing great two-way hockey at five on five, right? His line with Brock Besser and Phil DiGiuseppe, they've been used as the number one matchup line going up against the other team's best players. And early in the season, he was doing a fantastic job. Game one against the Oilers, he basically eliminated Connor McDavid from the game, which is very, very hard (laughs) to do. And that was a phenomenal performance. And we saw more performances like that from JT Miller. That has slipped quite a bit. And last night, you know, Rick Tockett actually had to switch things up, and he went from matching up Miller against Eichel and Stone in the first period. Uh, they got mm-hmm. worked, and that line scores two goals against them. It was ugly. The territorial battle was a complete, you know, lopsided defeat for them. He actually went away from that matchup and tried Elias Pedersen against them for the rest of the game. That's a very concerning sign, right? And if, if Miller is not bringing that two-way value yeah. down the middle as a center – it's going to be tough for the Canucks to sustain, you know, a hundred point pace for the rest of the year. They need him to be at a really high level. He's done it. He did it when Rick Chalky came in last year mm-hmm. for a stretch of about 30 games. He started off this season doing it. So he's capable of doing it. But I think the question, and they, yeah. oh, this is not just a this year question. This is a, Hey, he's on a seven year deal. Now question is how consistently can he do it this year? How consistently can he do it as he ages, yeah. as he gets into his thirties on that deal? Uh, Thatcher Demko, he's healthy again, and uh, he's uh, he's been uh, like probably a Ve- like uh, probably be a Vesna finalist if the season were yeah. to end today for sure. But just uh, how important has his uh, being healthy been to this team? I, it's probably I, I would say it's probably number one. Yeah, yeah, you know that's probably not a bad shout, honestly. I mean, last year they they had some of the worst goaltending in the league, and part of that was Thatcher Demko. Part of that was the guys uh, that they replaced his minutes with once he was injured, but this team is just not set up to win without yeah. really, really good goaltending. And we saw that in a big way last year. Now that he's healthy. And I think also just, you know, the other big thing for Thatcher Demko is the fact that the environment in front of him is just a lot more calm. Yeah. Right. And it's not that they're an elite defensive team all of a sudden, but I think they've been a credible defensive yeah. team. You've seen met much fewer of the, you know, the, the, the cross seam passes and the odd man rushes and all of those things that put, tremendous stress on the goalie and not just, you know, those things make it harder to make saves, but I think they also make it more likely that you get injured, right? If you're going post to post constantly, if you're constantly having to make all these athletic, really high difficulty saves that leads to injury. So I think him being healthy. And then the fact that they've got a system in front of them, they've got players in front of them that can help him stay healthy, right? That can keep him healthy, keep him in the net. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, much like, you know, you'll notice the theme here where I'm saying like what they did in October was never going to continue. That's the case with Thatcher Demko as well. But we also know at his best when he's healthy, he can be one of the top goalies in the league. So I would, I would bet on Demko. If I was ranking the things I'm most confident in for the Canucks, it would be, you know, Thatcher Demko continuing to crush it would be pretty high near the list. Priority signing number one is probably Elias Pettersson, but does Philippe Heronik get his deal done before him? I would be very surprised. Well, I shouldn't say that because the Pettersson situation is very, very complicated, but we have spent almost all of our time talking about the Pettersson situation here because, you know, he is the number one center, Mm -hmm. 100 points last year, all of that drafted by the Canucks. 
We haven't spent a lot of time talking about the Hronik situation, but it's also very, very complicated. And, you know, obviously appending RFA with Arbrights, you look at the point production he's putting up right now. And, you know, if he's playing with Quinn Hughes, he's going to put up points. He's gotten some run on power play one alongside Quinn Hughes right now. If he's there, he's going to put up points. And all of a sudden, he's going to have a tremendously strong arbitration case uh, going into the summer. His agent's Alan Walsh as well. You know, I'm not (laughs) sure if you know, but Walsh, not not scared about going to the wall, going to the mattresses for his client. So, (laughs) uh, you know, this, I don't really have a sense of where this goes because, if Walsh and Hronick really wanted to push for maximum dollars, I mean, we could be looking at $8 million plus, right? Like, that, that's what we're talking about here. I don't know that the Canucks have the appetite for that. I don't know that they have the room to make that work and do the other things necessary to improve the team around Pedersen and Philip Hronick. Now, look, maybe Hronick likes the situation. Hey, he gets to play with Quinn Hughes. That's great. Mm-hmm. It, maybe maybe they're able to get something cheaper done. Maybe they go a little shorter term so he gets to UFA quicker. I don't know. But this feels like one where they might have to get creative because it's very, very tricky with the leverage that Philip Hronick has. Now, the one thing I'll say is I think the advantage for the Canucks is Hronick probably, and his camp probably know this is the year they want to get paid off, oh, right? Yeah. So, hey, I don't know that taking the one-year arbitration award and hitting UFA is as attractive a proposition for Hronick as it would be for, let's say, Elias Pettersson. Like, he probably, mm-hmm. the numbers he's putting up this year, I think he's going to want to sign a contract after this year. It's just a question of how long it will be, and you know, does, does, can Vancouver ultimately do it in the end? Would Pettersson entertain something similar to what Austin Matthews did in Toronto? Wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Would not surprise me at all. I feel like that all. could be a, a future yeah. contract for a lot of stars. Absolutely. And you just look at, you know, we heard the, you know, Elliot Friedman made the point of, you know, get guys to UFA before they turn 30, right? When they're 28, when they're 29. So then they can go cash in on the big long-term seven or eight year deal. And, you know, if Elias Pettersson, because what we heard is in the summer, like he wants to wait, he's not entirely sure if he wants to sign a contract right now. And if there are some lingering doubts about, okay, the direction of the Canucks, can I win here? What's the likelihood that I win here? But he also wants a little bit of security. You know, a three-year deal, something like that, could be a way of kind of having it both ways, right? Threading that needle where you give yourself an out, you can still go somewhere towards the tail end of your prime, but you're, you know, you're you're giving yourself a a decent payday uh, in the near term as well. So, look, I don't have any inside information. I I have no idea where Mm -hmm. this Pedersen situation is going. It's going to be a really, really fascinating dynamic, but three- or four-year deal would not shock me at all in the end. Jamie, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your morning and, uh, and talking uh, some Canucks with me. Uh, enjoy the game tomorrow. Uh, I'm sure uh, Zadorov will have quite the reception. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be I'm, fun. Uh, some hits, some fights. Should be a good one on Hockey Night. going to be oh. a blast. Thanks, thanks, for, uh, thanks for calling me, man.